All right, hello, hello. Here we go. Let me switch the scene here. There we go. I'm, I'm down here. Uh, let's give it just a moment here, because the preview is always a little bit behind. There we go. Uh oh. Why am I, why am I here? Why am I hearing myself? Who, who's, who doesn't have their preview muted? Okay. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, because so that's what I was talking about. Um, so I'm down here. I'm the host. So you guys won't see me very much because um, I'm little and we're using Zoom and the preview doesn't bigify because I'm the host. Um, but welcome, everybody, to uh, our lab's uh, live office hour for today. Uh, this is something we're going to be doing fairly regularly, um, I believe, Fridays. Right, guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay. So um, welcome. Welcome, everybody. And uh, so go ahead and, um, William, Don, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, William, first, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, why we're doing it. Sure. Uh, my name is William George. I've been here at Puget Systems for, I think, going on 15 years. Uh, the last couple of those have been in our labs departments, along with Dawn and Matt and some others that you may know. And I test a variety of different applications, ranging from photogrammetry to some engineering stuff like uh, SolidWorks over to uh, 3D rendering applications, so Octane, Redshift, V-Ray, those sorts of things. And a few other scattered things, live streaming and VR and stuff, um, kind of a mix. And then we publish articles on our website and maintain recommended system configurations tailored to those different applications so that folks can see what the best hardware for what they're doing is. Awesome, thanks. And Don? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Don Kinghorn. Um, it's uh, Dr. Don. I have a PhD in uh, theoretical chemistry from from mid mid nineties, um, and I've been I've been here about I've been here like eight years. It surprises me. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, um, but I'm the scientific computing advisor here. Um, so if if uh, when uh, when sales gets questions and stuff, and they go on, what the heck is that talking about? You know, it's like okay, that's that's what comes over to me. Um, and uh, then I author on the uh, the Puget Systems HPC blog, uh, which um, uh, I I hope uh, uh, I hope a lot of you are familiar with that. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's it. Awesome, cool, thank you, guys. Uh, so um, let's see, we're we're probably going to have a few people trickling in as as we continue along with this sort of thing. But um, so I suppose the whole point of all of this was to kind of address some of the questions and comments and and topics that we we get occasionally in a bit of a more live format. Um, hopefully, as we get to do this more often, uh, people will kind of get into the chat and really and and come with with some content. But I do think. Um, We've come a little bit prepared uh, with some of our more frequently asked questions from each of you guys. Uh, William, do you did you have a anything in particular you wanted to mention? Um, well, shoot, I had a list. We'll put I, them on the spot. <laughs> um, one of the things that I know comes up from time to time uh, on the rendering side of things, so GPU-based rendering, things like Octane and Redshift. Uh, 
the more, I don't know how familiar everyone that's watching is with those, but the more video cards you have, the faster stuff will render. And one video card, not a big deal in a system. Almost all computer cases are designed to ventilate well enough for a single card. Two can start to get a little hairy, especially in smaller chassis, but a lot of times people want three or four stacked together, as many as you can fit really in a system. And that starts to create some cooling problems that a lot of people don't think about because most of the at least mainstream video cards these days, a lot of the GeForce cards, both the Founders Edition ones from NVIDIA and a lot of the aftermarket designs have two or sometimes even three fans on them. And those are designed for cooling a single card really well. Tons of airflow right. for that card, but because of the way the card is shaped and the, the fins and everything, it just vents most of that heat back into the system. Mm -hmm. And with one card, okay, maybe 200, 250 watts of extra heat in the system, your fans move it out, not a huge deal. Two cards all of a sudden, you're doubling the amount of heat you're pumping back into the system that then the CPU cooler and other components are having to deal with. And that can sometimes be okay if there's a lot of ventilation, but you hit three or four cards, and now there's no room for that air to really flow well between the cards, the way the fans right. are oriented, and you're dumping potentially a thousand watts of heat into wow. the system. And it just does not go well because not only the other components have to deal with that, but each of the other cards is suddenly pulling in hot air instead of cool air for cooling. Right. So uh, one of the things that we've did some testing on, we've got some articles from a year or two ago on the website about, if you're curious for more details, is looking at how performance degrades over time when you're using those sorts of cards. And it's pretty dramatic. You can lose 30 or 40% of your overall performance in rendering Wow. just because of those having those sort of cards in there plus of course you're also putting a lot worse wear and tear on those cards the fans are having to run faster which means they're going to wear out the cards are just dealing with more heat which is never good for electronics right and so the solution to that is making sure that if you're going to have really it, definitely three or four even in a lot of configurations features can have two cards what you want is a single fan design where it pulls air from inside the case and then vents it out the back that way you're not dumping the heat inside. Right. Those cards will tend to be a little bit louder under load because one fan is having to do all that work. But it ends up not being as bad as if you had a bunch of cards with a bunch of fans that are all maxed out. Sure. Um, and uh, so you just have to yeah be careful about picking the right sort of cards for the right situation. If you are just going to have one card, by all means, a dual fan card is probably going to end up being quieter and better than a single fan design. But when you have sure. two or three or four... Uh, going that direction uh, can make a huge difference both in performance and reliability and noise and all sorts of things. Um, and just something a lot of people don't think about uh, paying attention to. Right. Yeah, actually, um, just just to cut in real quick, I actually uh, saw on Twitter recently um, someone had commented on, on that exact topic. Um, we were showing uh, an SG-10 uh, with two oh, yeah. with two mm -hmm. cards, and they're like, oh, man, is, is that a problem, right? Like having them stacked that close. And uh, actually, I think you, I think I referenced your um, your testing article on showing that the Founders Edition RTX cards are like thumbs down. You really should be focusing more on those blowers. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a bummer. Yeah. The Founders Edition used to have single fans before yeah. this generation, before the 2000 series. They were great for that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've got Founders uh, 10, uh, 10 series cards in most of my computers. But yeah, with this generation, they switched to dual fan. And so, yeah, you have to go to aftermarket ones from, I think, Asus and PNY and Gigabyte. I think at least those three make versions that have single fan. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's really relevant uh, for in in my domain too. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, machine learning uh, is. Uh, I mean, you're almost crazy if you're not using GPUs for acceleration, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and they're just marvelous. The performance is stunning, and you know, and that's that's something that that definitely comes up. I I hear that quite a bit too. It's like, okay, how about the cooling? You know, or can I get this card? Can I put like four RTX Titans in here? And it's like, no, I'm really sorry that you can't do that because there's no blower edition of that card. You'd have Gosh. to go to you have to go to Quadro if you want. Uh, if you want that level of card um, with uh, with uh, blower fans, mm -hmm. and uh, but yeah, the blowers work really really well, and um, yeah, cause you you can have those cards you know just stacked right next to each other, and just with air, and uh, they do a great job. Um, uh, all, yeah, all the ones that, that that I've seen that we've been testing the the. Um, uh, the the cooling has been really good, and that includes even in those little teeny cases, mm -hmm. like that, like those those portables that we used to have. I was amazed at the, uh, the performance you could get yeah. out of that little teeny compact box, and still have really great cooling. And that's under heavy load, right? So, uh, yeah, that's definitely a big deal. So we do we so we got our first question from chat uh, and I and I think this would be a really good one for the both of you guys. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on the new Intel announcements that were made today? So the 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 official I think which um, ones? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, one, but I think in particular the um, it was the ten nine hundred has officially officially come out um, and b before we get into the answer I know for me it's it's a little awkward when when I see questions like this, because like I, in my head, uh, a lot of the like pre-release information that we know about is still rattling around in my head. And I'm like, wait a second, didn't these come out already? And it's like, wait, no, I think, I think I'm just, we've been talking about it for a while and now it's like the public. And so I just thought that some of this stuff is confusing for me, but uh, yeah. so what, what do you guys think about um, these new, this new Intel stuff that's coming? What are we allowed to say? Because I know yeah. announcements versus actual launch. We have different restrictions on what we're allowed to say. Um, I think. Good so, question. Err on the side of caution. Err on the side <laughs> of caution. Hey, it's great that new CPUs are coming out. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Got some work to do catching up. AMD's been doing really well, so it's uh, you know competition is always a good thing. Yeah, I was I was glad to see that. Uh, I was I was actually a little bit worried because I hadn't heard very much about uh, motherboards. Mm, yeah, uh, but along with along with these announcement announcements, there it looks like there's a whole slew of new uh, motherboards uh, in the works. Oh, that's good. So I, yeah, I was a little bit worried about just the entire platform being uh, available on launch. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I'll comment on the GPU or on the CPU itself a little bit. Sure. Um, because you know this is this is actually this is a question that comes up for me quite a bit because. You know, those are like the like the 9900K. Mm -hmm. You know that that class of processor, which is this new one. This that's what it basically is. It's a new. It's uh, the next. It's a the new, next iteration. It's a new iteration of that. Mm -hmm. um, that is a. I mean, that's a workhorse. It's a great CPU. It is one of like the premier gaming rig CPUs. Very very high, uh, very high single core clock. 
Um, and so a really snappy system. Um, the, the, but in my domain, in the scientific domain, where I'm, I'm doing uh, mathematics, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, number crunching, um, it's not a good choice. And, oh. and the, the reason there is that there's, there, there's, there's kind of a split in these processors. And it goes back, and, and people don't really understand this. They get a little bit confused. But uh, when the, uh, like the, the Core i7, uh, the Haswell cards, Mm -hmm. Like the for, the forty seven hundreds and those. Oh yeah. That that was a new core design, and and that was and and there were were Xeons basically like that too. Okay. Um, and the uh, uh, the 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 computational goodness in there was uh, AVX two, and which is a is a vector unit that's on the processor, and it's an excellent vector unit. Okay, ah, so, okay, so so these these CPUs are really good. This is the same thing that's in the current AMD processors too. Is it's an AVX2 vector unit. Um, that when when the the change from AVX to AVX2 for HPC for compute workloads for things that were vectorized, um, it doubled the performance. It was just stunning. So so that was that was a big leap, and that's that basic core. That is still the same basic core that's on these new processors. Oh, it's it's that same. It's usually referred to as like Skylake, but that's really confusing because Skylake actually refers to the Xeon part as oh, far as weird. the core goes. Because so it's really more like it's really more like the Haswell core, but it's it's um, yeah. It, a lot people get really confused by this, and and it is confusing. It is. It's all of the lakes. Because yeah, yeah, um, this particular generation is being referred to as Comet Lake. Comet, Comet Lake, yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, so so that's a that's another iteration iteration in that family line. So it's okay. still that basic kind of architecture under the hood, with lots of improvements and changes. You know, more cores, faster clocks, uh, lots of adjustments along the way. But it's still that same basic core. Okay. The uh, uh, where things really changed on. The uh, the high performance side was this uh, scalable Xeon Xeon scalable, which was Skylake SP. Okay. And that is a new core. That's a wow. that's a different fundamental processor core, and that's where Intel introduced AVX five twelve. And that vector unit doubled the 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 width of the registers for the vector unit. Mm -hmm. Okay. It did not double the performance like AVX to AVX2 did. Huh. But it, b because what happens, the AVX512 is really demanding power wise. So the processor winds up lowering its core clocks when that unit engages. Hmm. But okay. it does give about a 40% boost in performance. It's not a double, it's not a 100% boost, but it's significant. And that's a that's the main difference between these classes of processors. Uh, and, and as far as on the, you know, so the Xeons are all, um, they're all uh, AVX 512 based essentially on that Skylake SP core. Mm -hmm. uh, and that also includes processors that were on the uh, X299 platform. Yeah, okay, that makes so sense. That, so the core X processors, which are in, unfortunately, 
in terrible shortage right now. Right. They're great processors, and they're, quote, consumer processors, right? Okay. Um, they don't have, like, ECC memory support and, and uh, you know, a few. Th there's some differences. But they have that basic core in it that's the same as the Xeons. Right. So that's the big difference between these two classes of processors. And it's why I usually do not recommend for the scientific computing work, I, I usually don't go with the, the, uh, uh, the, the gaming class, if you will, of the, sure. the Intel processor. But it's not to knock it because I, I tell you what, the, the AMD processors, the, the, the new uh, Ryzen, the Zen 2 core stuff, mm -hmm. That's an AVX2 vector unit in it, but those, those processes are just great. Yeah. Actually, that's, that's a, a, a really good segue because um, I, think, I think that kind of leads, that gives a bit of an insight into how AMD has been working well for HPC. And, and William, have you, have you seen similar uh, effect from these newer AMD processors in um, you know, the simulations and 3D um, rendering that sort of deal? Yeah, they're... They're fantastic when it comes to stuff that threads well, mm -hmm. uh, especially stuff that threads well and isn't like super memory dependent. Uh, okay. You you can get more memory channels from some of the server level stuff, like either uh, Epic or Xeon, if you really need a lot of memory bandwidth. Mm -hmm. uh, but if yeah, if mostly what you're doing is is stuff that's limited by core count. Yeah, the, the Threadrippers are fantastic, and even the, the top end of the Ryzen with 16 cores is better price performance than anything Intel has in that neighborhood. And the, the big thing that they did with this generation is they caught up pretty much on single-threaded performance. Intel had had a huge lead there for years and years. Uh, and and that, I don't know that it's necessarily identical, but it's within, you know, within such a small difference one way or the other that single threaded performance you're fine either way now um nice. so yeah they're they're tremendous for a lot of those workloads awesome that's good to hear uh especially especially since it's it, like you were saying it has been quite a while since uh amd's kind of been a competitor in the in the cpu market um and I, so just to mention it as well um some folk have mentioned the this rtx voice uh, beta and uh, how it's possible to run on Tensor Core as well as CUDA. Um, we're skipping from CPU to GPU now. Um, do you, so I'm not I'm not sure. I, I find this I find this to be very very interesting, but I'm 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 unsure how to kind of work it into this conversation because I think it's really cool uh, because it touches on um, I don't know just I, I do you guys have a, an opinion or a thought on, on this sort of thing and, and how it might change other other ways that this technology could be, um, I suppose, affecting things in the future? Oh, hey, I'll just jump in right off the bat. <laughs> it's, a, it's a brilliant project. I, I, haven't, um, I haven't tried that yet. I haven't tried it myself yet. But th this is an example of an a, a, a machine learning AI kind of application mm -hmm. uh, in a very, very practical uh, use case. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great to see it like that, and it, and um, I definitely want to try it because uh, William just demonstrated how effective it really is, and it's it's, it's amazing. Remarkable. That's very very good. That's a that's a, that's really cool. Yeah, I I think you make a good point there. That um, oftentimes when we t when we hear about um, like machine learning and AI and things like that, it's it's often in these sort of um, 
more esoteric or almost really high level kind of um, disconnected sort of contexts and and that's this is a, this is a really cool example of of like a, a practical application for uh, machine learning and AI that um, that goes beyond just like is this a hot dog kind of <laughs> kind of things and it's really fascinating it's 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 cool because it's like you can people are people are actually using this on on as old of video cards as like 750 TIs and stuff like there it's it's really neat yeah it's a good it's a good application it's a really good example of j exactly what you said yeah, I mean, I, earlier I, I don't want to do it myself because like I'm just on I'm just on my my wimpy thing and I haven't I haven't tried it. But earlier, yeah, William was giving us some claps and some some typing typing and it, it's. Well, here, Houston, why don't you clap a couple times so people okay. can hear what like. So I, what's th just... I think I think this might suppress some of it because a nice Sennheiser headset, but you, you'll get an idea. Okay. And then. I've got the RTX voice thing, so this shouldn't make any noise. It's amazing. It's so cool. That's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. It just cuts it right out. I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's like the voice equivalent of um, the content-aware fill, like in After Effects or Photoshop. It's it's rather than visual, it's just audio. It is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff I'm sure that we'll see over the coming years as people realize what a lot of this machine learning stuff can be used for. Right. Um, and uh, I know NVIDIA is touting it as RTX voice, I'm sure, because they're trying to pump their new cards, but it's not actually using anything that's, at least for this level of machine learning, isn't requiring the RTX stuff. There's yeah. I, and Don may be able to speak to this more, but this is inference, not machine learning training. With machine learning, you've got a huge amount of work that goes into training models on the front end. Mm -hmm. But then the inference, once that model has been trained, that's very, very low hardware requirement. So there is some hardware in the RTX cards and some of the Quadros and Tesla cards that's dedicated to doing that, tensor cores. But older cards that don't have that can just run it in software on CUDA and it's a low enough demand application that it still works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and CUDA is very efficient. Um, the, I, uh, I, I have not looked at the code. I ha haven't really looked at, at it, the details. I haven't looked at the, the publications mm -hmm. um, that they, they put up on, on this. So I, I don't know the, the details of actually how they, uh, you know, what's under the hood for the for sure. what how how they set this up um but uh, but yeah uh william you're right that's the uh the 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 really demanding side of the the machine learning work is in the training in uh, you right. know, creating a model uh that's that's hugely demanding um once you get a, a good model then there's some uh lots of really uh brilliant tools to use for uh, making models very compact and uh, uh, very efficient to the point where you can actually even run them on, a, on your phone. Oh, that'll be cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's already uh, quite a bit of that going on. I suppose that must be true because, like, um, you know, different different Bluetooth headsets and things like that will cut out 
uh, background noise, like there, you know, there's a microphone on the back of your of your cell phone to pick up ambient noise to cut that out from from the phone call part, like to try and cut down on the the noise around you while you're on a phone call. So I imagine that has something to do with like a, a pre a pre-built model that it's just trying to cut out. Oh, we already know this this sort of thing is noise, so we cut that out. Yeah, a lot of that is old school kind of classical algorithms for for handling that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and, and those algorithms were highly optimized for a very specific task, and they're pretty efficient. You know, like, uh, like in, in your, your phone camera, it, it can, like, capture somebody's face. You can do face tracking. Those are classical algorithms that are usually doing that. Um, but uh, uh, modern implementations will do, like, image sharpening and all, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and this is uh, AI under the hood for that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, uh, it's trained uh, models that are doing inference under the hood. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that people think maybe is, is AI that's actually, you know, kind of older uh, classical models. They're still totally valid. Machine vision has been around for a long time. Um, but the, 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 the new stuff, the stuff that's, that people are working on now, it's basically a new way of programming. Okay. You know, you're, you're training a computer to do something rather than just programming it to do something. Ah. And um, uh, it, it's, it's really, 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 really interesting. And, and a lot of stuff is finding its way into practical use uh, uh, every day. And it, it, it to the point to where now you don't, you don't even realize it, that it's running. You know, they're, put, they're putting, um, you know, neural, neural network chips on phones and stuff like that. Right to ac accelerate, basically to accelerate inference of these models. Yeah, William, do you, do you see? Um, so you've been playing around with like engineering um, softwares and and photogrammetry as well, which I think um, there there must be a certain amount of machine learning in in those sort of applications. Do you see um, like what what kind of changes and, and improvements have you seen over the over your years of uh, um, experience with this sort of thing? I'm not actually sure. I'm not aware of anything off the top of my head in the photogrammetry programs that we test. Okay. Uh, was, or the engineering ones. I'm trying to think. I was kind of guessing oh. because it seems it, there must be a certain level there because like you take a whole bunch of these two-dimensional photos and can, uh, and can kind of build a three-dimensional um, model I actually, from that. Yeah, I actually saw uh, a paper recently that was um, essentially doing that, but and they were using uh, cameras instead of like uh, uh, like lidar data for doing the photogrammetry. And so, yeah, and uh, and this was this was actually really a, uh, a a new way of doing it. This was um, um, this was this was training. This was uh, machine learning AI stuff, um, and it was really I. I from from what I looked, at, you know, they were doing stuff to where they um, they could map, they could create 3D models from just from video images in a room and stuff like that, and actually create like the 3D point clouds that you would get from the photogrammetry kind of work. Um, and they were doing it but, with machine learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it was it was um, uh, tr basically training. The, the, the video stream with cameras to do the same thing that you would be getting from LIDAR. You know, you, you get a lot, you get a different uh, kind of information. Um, 
Well, yeah, oh, the photogrammetry. I, you know, I'm I'm scrambling up a few different things here in the in the technology because because photogrammetry is you know, photos. It, 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 yeah. it stitches that stuff together. Um, uh, but yeah, this was a this was a new thing. So it, it's it's related, but it's not prime time yet either. It was stuff that was in the research phase. But um, it it the 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 point really that I, I wanted to make was that yeah it, it's it's affecting uh, th that area too. Um, yeah, you see machine learning and and everywhere. Um, a lot of the the engineering stuff, um, you know, those are those are classical uh, physics simulations, and so they're they're ba physics based models. So yeah. so um, now. Now people are actually starting to replace physics with machine learning. So they're they're replacing some of these the the, the physical models with learned models, and having really remarkably good success because that, that's traditional HPC uh, realm there for a lot of that you know computational fluid dynamics and and uh, you know uh, stuff like that and and. Uh, but they're they're finding you know computational chemistry, um, but they're finding that wow they can actually kind of black box some of this stuff using the physical models to train the machine learning models. If that makes huh. any sense, so you, it you're, does. You're, it's, you're training it's a model. You're training a model based on the classical uh, the classical uh, equations, classical physics. You're training. Uh, learned models from that, and and the 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 thing is that some of these uh, these models that the, the uh, computational physics is hugely demanding. I mean, you, these are, simulations can run for weeks. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, they're massive problems, and they're finding that they can actually train models that will magically <laughs> generate <laughs> algorithms that read that do the same thing the physical models are doing and at you know massive speed ups huh. it, that's really interesting another thing that I, another thing on my list of like oh man how are they doing that because that's awesome yeah um, well that's interesting yeah, like everywhere. you know it's it's fairly low risk when you're talking uh doing machine learning for voice tweaking like like rtx voice or deep fake stuff right where you're putting people into to videos it starts to get a little bit more critical when they're using it and one of the big areas i know is uh, uh, automated driving stuff right machine learning there i'd i'd hate to be the person responsible for a bridge that got built through or designed through machine learning and then collapsed five years later or something but it's also a good reminder we humans aren't perfect there's a bridge a few miles from my house that was supposed to last 75 years and now like 35 years into its lifespan they they think it's going to have to come down wow um, and nobody's allowed to drive on it and that it's no fun so is that the west seattle bridge yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh boy <laughs> oh yeah it's, oh what a mess that's going to be yeah. yeah so so we humans and our physics or uh classical physics calculations and stuff are not necessarily perfect either yeah but uh, yeah, it, it really is fascinating, though. Um, it, it's hard to keep up with. There, there's so much good research going on, and people are trying all these ideas that are are way 
they're out there, you know, and they're having success. They're, they're, it's still really, really early days, in my opinion. And, and, the, and, you know, just the general problem of like, okay, what is this learned model actually really doing? Mm-hmm. Can, we, how, can we really validate this model? Is this model introducing really a bias that we don't understand? Um, is it going to fail catastrophically if somebody puts a big red dot in the middle of something? You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, because yeah, there's uh, huge problems, but the advances are—it's irresistible research. It really is truly irresistible uh, because we have the computational resources actually to do stuff like this. Yeah. I, I first looked looked at it in the '90s. I mean, you know. I, I looked at neural networks, and this stuff has been around since then. But it was like you couldn't do anything because there, there we didn't have the mountains and mountains and mountains of data, and the the computational capability was just not. You know, it was more like you know, like hey, this is cool, and we can do this. We can you know make XOR uh, gates, whatever, simulated with a model. You know, some kind of crazy stuff, and but. Uh, yeah, it hasn't taken off until recently because everything is in place for it now. And uh, it's also just like super fun because uh, people can just dive into this. People, people can look at things like, you know, trying to analyze the stock market and they can set up models and do, do this stuff. You can, um, it, it's like they, you know, they say you don't have to be a PhD to actually get in and, and mess with this stuff and do some really interesting things. Um, you probably do have to be a PhD to to really come up with new methodologies and stuff like that, and and there's a long ways to go. But the, the uh, uh, overall, it's just irresistible, and it's actually one of the biggest strengths I think of the the whole thing is that uh, and there's there's wonderful resources online. Mm-hmm. Or for learning about uh, machine learning and and uh, you know neural networks and all this stuff, but a good chunk of it is free, and this stuff is is uh, you know people with just basic high school math can actually wrap their head around at least some of the use cases for this and actually create models with their own data and and do stuff. So it's it's wonderfully accessible science. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, William, I'm curious. What is, I say, I suppose, what what is the more common, um, how do I phrase this? I suppose I'm curious. I'm curious to know a lot more about like the. Oh, that's how I'll put it. The problems that people have come to you to try and solve. Like I know, I know that you dabble. Your your main focus is like engineering and simulation sort of of software. But like, what what is that? I, I suppose I, I've I've often like I see I see the models that you use in your testing, um, and that sort of a thing. But like, I suppose the, I suppose the the general question is like, what's what are, what is it being used for? Like, what are people doing with this stuff? Sure. What what kind of problems are are being solved here? Um, I've I've been curious. Because I cover so many different software applications, it it varies greatly. But like, uh, just to give you a rundown, so uh, rendering GP rendering is usually um, some sort of film production stuff, whether it's 
uh, you know, full-length feature film stuff or short videos or whatnot. It can also be stills. Um, the still image stuff tends to be more in like advertising or engineering fields. Okay. Uh, if they're using it for like, hey, just here's a, a few shots of a building we're going to make in, in Revit or um, something or some product photography shots in SolidWorks, things like that. But if it's video rendering of multiple frames being stitched together to make videos, yeah, that's usually... Yeah, again, film or so media that'd be like that'd be like rendering out like Godzilla or the city that he's destroying. Yeah, special. Yeah. It can be so uh, the a lot of special effects sort of stuff will get added in other applications, but it, it depends. You can do it a lot in rendering too. It, it's really any time that you want to be able to have something displayed in a film or video or whatnot that is not something that's either practical or affordable to make in normal like scale model and do real physical special effects which is for you know, 100 years was the only way to do things uh, in film you know the, most of the 20th century up until the last decade or two mm -hmm. but uh yeah to just do all that stuff um, via computer models and animating everything but then you know you've seen like a video game doesn't look as good as real life usually even the really nice sure. video games there's glitchy things or it's not quite perfect and stuff like uh, rtx uh, makes it closer but if you're having to do that in real time 60 times a second or something you're going to have to cut corners in some places just because of the computational resources available rendering goes to the other end and says oh no no no, no. i'm not trying to do this in real time necessarily i might have several minutes to calculate every frame or you know older cases hours or days to calculate a frame mm. and i'm going to do it right i'm going to have physically based stuff for light bouncing around changing colors as it hits surfaces uh, shadows fog glass all those things are going to be physically simulated in realistic ways okay and it sits there and churns on that calculating where all the different light rays are going until it gets a really good quality image and then if you're doing an animation, it moves on to the next one and, and everything. So that's uh, the rendering side of things. Then mm -hmm. photogrammetry applications tend to fall into two categories uh, or use cases, I should say. One is mapping. So okay. if you're taking like, a, you know, you want to make a, a really cool map of a campus or a park or whatever. And it can be used for all sorts of different end cases. But if you're trying to make just yeah, a giant map, um, sometimes they'll end up just bringing it down in the end to like just an elevation map after all okay. is said and done or things like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. um, the, the risks of working from home. Um, and then the other side is doing actual like models, like taking a bunch of pictures of a physical thing or a person and being able to create a really highly realistic um, 3D model for use in something else without having to sit there and actually draw it out and texture it and everything. You can just kind of do all that automatically for you. So uh, it's a great way to get um, like scans of people for use in a video game or scans of objects. If you want like terrain and things like that in a video game, but don't want to sit there and have an animator model a hundred different rocks, you just photograph a hundred different rocks and then import them that way. Uh, so again, there's all sorts of end cases for that in different ways that it can end up being used, but um, those are kind of the two big general categories of things. And then engineering software is, I mean, all over the place, everything from people designing little tools and things all the way up to people designing buildings or 
the planning out cities and things like that. Um, so it can get, yeah. get quite big. Yeah. And some of that, um, at least with the engineering part, do they do like physics simulations in that sort of thing too? There can be. Um, that's like, something. Can I, make, can I make this building this tall and have it like not collapse, kind of stuff? Yeah, we don't do a whole lot of testing on that specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those simulation packages are really niche. Mm, okay. Sure that's pronounced. Um, and we tend to kind of try and focus mostly on stuff that has a, a wider appeal. But there are there are some aspects, certainly in uh, in SolidWorks, for example. There's some yeah. simulation stuff in there, and we do some testing of that. Uh, fluid dynamics and uh, stress simulations, thermal simulations, things like that. Um, so yes, uh, and those those get interesting. Sometimes they're really well threaded, and sometimes they only need <laughs> a handful of cores. Um, it it really that's one of the reasons you have to do the testing is it's, it's kind sure. of dangerous to assume that because it's a certain type of software that it's going to have a certain behavior yeah. on hardware. Yeah, William, you know, a lot of that is uh, is because those are really classical algorithms. That, the, yeah, I figured that stuff has been be around a, for a long time. A crossover there. Yeah, it's, it's been around. That, yeah. And the a, a lot of the, and, and a lot of the actual code itself. I mean, the the, the source code itself goes way back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm this, that kind of stuff is really hard to write. And you know, and it's it, it's you know uh, human years or decades of effort to get some of that code to work, and and you know to to implement all that. So you have some legacy on there, and where there was never any idea that you would have a sixty-four core processor to run this on. Mm. Okay. So, so it's just not optimized for that for modern. Uh, uh, hardware and plus some problems are just inherently not parallelizable. Yeah, parallelizable. If, <laughs> if each calculation you're doing relies on the result of the calculation that came before it, there's just no way to split that up effectively. Yeah, uh, and that happens a lot in physical models because you're you're modeling, you're looking at things that well, if you move this, it has an effect on everything that's around it. Mm -hmm. So. So you wind up chopping things up into little blocks and stuff like that, and then you can form, you know, farm some of the, the little blocks and stuff out into uh, multiple cores and multiple nodes and and what have you, and then yeah. bring stuff back together. But you end up with a big chunk of the code that has to happen essentially in a single process, yeah. and that's wow. Amdahl's law. That's what limits the the parallel scalability of codes, and wow. In in the in the older days, I mean, even when when you first started when we first started doing clusters, you know, you had processors that maybe had two cores, so you would have a dual socket machine. You'd have four cores in there, and then you know you would you would have uh, four or five you know four or eight machines whatever, and you'd have them all talking together. But um, a lot of pro programs just did not scale beyond like eight processes, and it was just simply because there was a a scalar component that was limiting the, the theoretical max that you could possibly get out of it. Yeah. So, and if you want to kind of think yeah, about two extremes, um, on the multi-threaded side, rendering that we were talking about before is a fantastic example because that is almost almost infinitely parallel 
parallelizable because what you're doing is each sort of thread that's going on in the processor is just calculating what one ray of light is doing. And those rays of light never interfere with each other. So you can just calculate more and more of those at the same time hmm. without any other effect. As long as you're just doing a single scene, nothing in the scene is changing and you can just be calculating more light uh, rays at once uh, up until the point where like if you're doing an animation, okay, we've done enough on this scene, we have to move on to the next one. You'll have some small portion in there that is single threaded as it moves to the next scene. But then like on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of 3D design applications, if you've got a model that is a, you know, just a ton of uh, usually triangles or some other form of, you know, faces on a model, and you want to change where one vertex is located to change something, okay, you move that vertex, and then that has to populate out to each other point that that affects. You can't mm, okay. calculate all of them at once because you move this point, it moves this point a little bit, which moves this point, which moves this. You can't calculate this point down here until you've done all of those in sequence. So a lot of 3D modeling applications, when you're actually doing the modeling, are almost entirely single-threaded because each step has to wait on the one before. Wow. Let's see. So I, this one, I think this is this is a, a question from chat from uh, Tanmay... Uh, he was he was wondering uh, what personal projects or future theories are you excited about? I think this would be a good one. Cool. Hmm. Let's see. Personal projects. Um, one of the things that we're doing here, I guess, in our labs department, uh, is actually being spearheaded by Matt, who's uh, currently on paternity leave. Uh, congratulations to him. <laughs> but uh, he'll be, I'm sure, in some of these future episodes. He's been setting up some stuff where we can have uh, our public benchmarks able to capture and have people send back their results when they run them mm -hmm. so that we can kind of uh, start to compile a bigger database of performance results than just what we are able to test here in our labs department. And then people can look and see you know, where different hardware falls in comparison to different things, even if it's stuff that we wouldn't normally test, either because we don't have it or because it's older or whatnot. Um, and so being able to eventually update some of our other benchmarks to utilize that same system will be a lot of fun, I think, and and good for people who are just looking for data. Um, so that's, that's something I'm excited about. But you, Don? I have a huge list. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But, but, but uh, uh, of, of, you know, of pro projects that I'm doing that are, you know, are for future systems that I'm really super stoked, super excited about. They're essentially personal projects. Um, the, the, the one that I'm working on right now, which I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy about, and, and we'll get stuff out there pretty soon. If people that have been following my blogs may stay, I, you know, I've been looking at stuff like the Jupiter Hub and, and uh, you know, things like this. Like, um, so, so, you know, I've, I've been working on uh, what is, uh, uh, essentially a development, a machine learning AI development platform, uh, uh, Linux-based, this was something else I could, could talk about, but that's that you uh, interface to entirely through a web browser. Um, so th this is like a, a remote appliance for, for doing your work. And part of, the, part of the intention here 
is that, and this is something that comes up a, a lot that I, I help people with. Uh, I'm a Linux guy. I spend almost all my time in Linux. And when I'm doing, you know, scientific work and stuff like that, that's where I am. Um, but, you know, hey, I, I use Windows too. And, uh, and a lot of people do. And they have really a hard time getting some of these, some of this stuff to work. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's developed in the, uh, it's, first of all, it's legacy in some sense from the, from the Unix area. Era. Oh, sure. And, but, which is all essentially Linux now. Um, so all of the development work on the machine learning frameworks and stuff like that, it's, it's done in Linux. And the, the work on the implementations on the clouds and everything. So the Windows users going, hey, I want to fire up TensorFlow and learn how to do this stuff. That can be a big problem. And because it's just, it's an afterthought. It, well, not always, but for, for a lot of stuff, it's like the, the researchers, the work that's going on, uh, the, the new code development is happening in the Linux environment. And it's kind of an afterthought by people that are volunteering to actually make things work and trying to get stuff going on, on the Windows side. That's kind of a switch from what things used to be kind of like, right? Um, but um, in, in that domain, that's, that's really how it is. And so those are some of my most popular blog posts or, or where it's like, okay, how do you actually, how do you do this and how do you get it to work? Because you go online and it's just a mess. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really, really happy to be able to help people with that. Um, but part of the, the motivation for this project that I'm working on is to facilitate uh, an agnostic environment, if you will. Hmm. So, th so that, so that uh, all of these uh, frameworks in this environment for doing all this work exists in a way that you can interact with it from any platform. So, I mean, from, from, from Windows, from Linux, from a Mac, from a Chromebook, doesn't, from your cell phone, it doesn't matter. Um, and that's, that's the idea, is to make something that doesn't, that is really, that has an uh, administrative interface that it is intuitive to take care of the things that you might need to do. And this is a multi-user kind of platform. So this wow. is a shared resource that can exist remotely and then, uh, and then just connect to that and have a, a really essentially a, an integrated development environment for doing your machine learning work uh, and other development work. Um, I, I'm pretty happy about this, and I think it's going to solve some serious problems for people that go, do I have to use Linux if I want to do this? No, you really don't. Um, you know, at, at, at some level, the answer to that is yes, if you're really, really going to be serious about it and you're, you're diving into the, the code itself, you know, in the frameworks, then, then yeah, that you have to use what the developers are using. Um, but, um, yeah, it's really quite nice. I'm really pretty happy with it. So, so that's, that's kind of a professional project um, that I'm, I'm personally really interested in. And I'm going to eat my own dog food on this. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to use this myself. This this is really nice because I can be at home and I can have computing resources down at the office, and I can just fire this stuff up and, and do my own personal projects, <gasps> my personal machine learning projects, on those resources from anywhere, from That's from cool. from anything. So Don's putting in the work so he doesn't ever have to come into the office ever again. 
Never we're again. Gonna, we're going to see him sitting <laughs> on a beach, sitting on a beach drinking Mai Tais while he's, you know, curing hey. diseases and stuff. Hey, it's the new way, right? <laughs> the ultimate remote, uh, or what is the what is the road warrior sort of work experience? But but I tell you what, though, I I I'm, I haven't I I realize this that it's like, you know, TensorFlow two has been out for a little while, and like, okay. man, I haven't done anything. <gasps> I have, you know, I haven't I haven't done any work since then, and you know, because I've been busy doing things that are more like on the system side. So I haven't done any of the actual, you know, science. I haven't done any of that work. So the summer's coming up, and this is usually where I take the time where I'll take a couple months and I'll, I'll actually work on some projects. Cool. You know, I mean, so like do some science, you know, do something. Uh, and, then, you know, that's a personal project. And then usually as long as I write about it and it's, it's cool and interesting, then I can get away with it, right? Right. Um, and, I, and also some uh, some former colleagues and stuff like that are, are maybe trying to get me involved on some um, uh, quantum mechanics work uh, that's actually uh, like uh, quantum computing related. And so I, I may, yeah, that's way out there stuff, okay? Uh, but I may collaborate with them a little bit uh, if, you know, uh, if that opportunity arises, that looks like it actually probably is going to. Right on. So... Well, those are my personal ones. Nice. Let's see. Uh, I don't see any other questions in the chat. Um, do you guys have anything else to that you'd like to, to talk about or some common uh, FAQ sort of things uh, while we wrap up the last uh, seven or eight minutes? Um, nothing specific, but I, mean, I think if people like this format, we're going to try and keep doing this for a while. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a couple of other guys. I mentioned Matt. There's also Kelly, who's the newest member of our team mm -hmm. and is going to be working on um, 3D modeling and animation and game dev stuff. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we can kind of cycle through here, have two or three of us on at a time and answer a variety of different questions. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you've got questions more in, in that field for Kelly or uh, Matt does video editing and uh, effects and photography stuff. So mm -hmm. the Adobe applications and DaVinci Resolve, uh, you know, chime in or check in, I should say next week and, and uh, whatnot. And yeah, please ask those questions. We've also got tons of great content on our website articles. You can ask questions in the comments there and, and whatnot. And Twitter. I know uh, both of you guys are very active on Twitter. Yep. Twitter, yep. Facebook. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We just want to help folks out. Right on. Yeah, actually, helping folks out is really big deal. It, it it's nice and and yeah. If this, um, you know, I'm an old academic, so doing office hours is kind of like, yeah, cool. Let's do that. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's nice if you know people come in and and have some, some some questions that we can answer for them. Then hey, awesome. Yeah, that was great. Cool. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, I mean, I suppose I suppose we could wrap up a little early. Um... It's only just a few minutes. It is but, Friday uh, after all. It is indeed Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sighs> Man, uh, yeah. Long week. So, well, all right then. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess we'll... Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll say goodbye. Um, thank you. Thank you guys for um, both both you gentlemen. Uh, William, Don, thank you guys for taking some time out of the day to, to chit-chat talk about things answer some questions and and thank you all in the audience for 
for hanging out and, and asking questions and just just overall just uh, being here. Um, again, we'll, we're going to be doing this. Uh, I believe the plan is to be doing this every Friday. So, um, you know, mark your calendar for next time. Uh, follow uh, follow us. Um, we're Puget Systems on Twitter. Um, and um, it's, it's awkward to say some of the handles. Uh, verbally so um if you just you can find william and don on twitter and uh in those places um through the puget systems account and um yeah if you guys do you guys have anything else you want to say before we go hey th thanks for stopping safe. by yeah yeah all right well then uh we'll say uh we'll say adios have a good day have a good weekend and uh we'll see you all next time bye